Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty from Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne, and I'm with Simon Lloyd, an industrial designer who's been working for many years in Melbourne, very slowly building up his practice. And I think most people in the know, architects, designers, have either seen Simon's work or have heard about Simon Lloyd. But he's one of these designers who who just works away at things very quietly, a very modest man. And I have been following his work for many, many years. I think I wrote about um, Simon in a design magazine probably in the mid-90s. And um, he just kept getting stronger and stronger. He's recently just had an exhibition at the Anita Traverska Gallery in Richmond. And welcome, Simon. Thanks, Stephen. Simon, I'm looking at a photo of you with uh, 70s flares and a knitted vest. And uh, you're looking quite groovy. You're looking <laughs> a little bit older now. And it was taken... Um, at the London Print College, College of Printing in Elephant Hills, Elephant Castle in London. Tell me about that period. So, so this was um, 1972, as I remember. So this is my <clears throat> uh, my first college. This was a, what they call a foundation course in the UK. So this is a one-year course which ran you through many of the different disciplines. And from that moment, you could then decide you know, where you wanted to go to and then head off to other universities. Uh, so this was pivotal for me. I, I'd gone to the London College of Printing, um, wanting to be a graphic designer. And then uh, this was a competition for Woolworths, or run by Woolworths, called One Room Living. And suddenly, within this moment, I discovered the, three, the third dimension. And, and so it shifted me away from this, this real passion for graphics into a, a greater passion, which was the three di- third dimension. So this... Uh piece that you designed is a stool and a table all in one yes it was it's a very look it's a very modest very simple thing now but it, it's basically a, a fiberglass storage unit uh with a plywood top which could become a table and then uh, i think i went to uh, lewis's um got this nice bit of fabric and that became another cushion for the top so look a really basic unit but it did um present issues to me of structure and materials uh, and from that moment on I decided that furniture was where I wanted to go to. So Simon from there you went to High Wycombe uh, University or High Wycombe um, and it's now Chilterns University. That's right yes. And you studied industrial design Mm. there. Well, in fact, this this time it wasn't even identified as industrial. It was, it was actually called, I think, uh, three-dimensional design, and I specialised in furniture. But what I did do was was amazing. I, I did textiles, photography, silversmithing, ceramics. So the whole gamut, again, in the first year, just to really give you a, a really solid grounding, and then you'd specialise in years two and three. It's interesting because we're jumping periods now, but your latest exhibition at the Traversco Gallery, you actually did objects... You did um, art, fine art, uh, sculpture. You are a man of many talents. How did that exhibition... I know we're jumping a bit at Mm, at the moment, but that kind of exemplifies your initial interest in all these broad areas has been borne out in this latest exhibition and also an exhibition you did a number of years ago at the Treasury Building where you were part of an exhibition called Felt and you made a felt garment. Yes. Um, Tell me about the, the work of the exhibition and, and perhaps how you cross over boundaries. Mm. I think I've always been interested in a whole range of things. I mean, as a designer, I, I think I admire people who can become a silversmith and that's what they do for their whole career. They work within those confines, but I really can't do that. Maybe it's this graphic 
kind of interest early on that, that, that I want to move into other areas. I see things that are visually excite me and I want to move into them. If I don't understand how to make them, then I'll kind of blunder in in a way um, but that also allows me a freedom I think which I quite enjoy so the latest exhibition at, at, at the Traverso Gallery goes back in a way to a, maybe a graphic route so the the so-called maybe the paintings the relief paintings have a very graphic quality so for um, people who can't see those relief paintings they're almost they're made out of recycled well, containers the, yes the the fact that the the, the objects themselves are made from sheet material, but the inspiration is from cardboard fragments. So I'm simply looking for the way that the cardboard box or container has been designed and then it's been flattened and looking for the relationships of, of the form that I can then kind of utilise in some way. So something like a, a um, cardboard that supports a coffee cup mm, that you absolutely. get in a takeaway yes, store yes, has yes. been transformed into a piece of art that almost looks like a scale model of a town. Yes, that's right. It could be, yeah. I mean, I always hesitate to use the word art, but it, it's, a, I, uh, let me call it a painting anyway. Um, but yes, it, it becomes like, it could become, well, it could become anything. It could become still a bit of a fragment of a bit of cardboard. It could also become a planned view of a piazza somewhere, or it could become, I think, one I call tail fin, so it reminds me of the tail plane or tail fin of an aircraft. So there's many kind of different things you could associate with that form. And that's the, I guess that's the interesting thing, that it, it is free. It, it allows free association by the viewer. That's probably why, that probably explains why so many architects at the opening night were fighting over the same piece um, of work in the exhibition. And it sold out almost. Oh, and, yeah. and people are kind of literally <clears throat> fighting over each piece. And um, so that must have been very exciting for you, that architects are particularly drawn to your work and design people generally. What is it, do you think, about your work that speaks to them? Well, I, I, I have to actually, I should ask them maybe, but, but I, I think there's something about the, again, this strong graphic thing. Uh, and when I'm working on objects, I, I like to see what it is that, you know, th this, this piece here isn't maybe working, it's not s strong enough. This piece now has changed, something's happened here. I've removed something or something's been added or the technique is working for me. The, the finish works and suddenly it, it happens. I mean, I, I don't know when I start what it is. It is about a process and it's, yeah. it can be very exciting when you finally hit upon something which is going to work. One yeah. of the other delightful pieces in the exhibition was like a doodle that you do mm. on a computer. Mm. Tell mm. me about that. I spoke with Anita uh, about a year ago, so this exhibition was was in train. I knew I got this this block of time, and I, I'd went through the different options for what it might be. And I think three months before the opening, I, I thought, well, it's still not working. I haven't got enough to work with, and the space itself is a really interesting space. And so at some point, I was doing some some mouse drawing on the computer, and and by getting a very thick brush, I could produce these very strong forms and then overdraw with another one and I got quite excited about the possibility so therefore I did these drawings which were not well they were spontaneous but I could adjust them uh, and then I could actually have them cut out of a more permanent material like brush sheeting in this case and then plated so what becomes a very ephemeral almost gesture with the, the hand becomes then somehow a much more permanent uh, quality right um, Simon you've done so many interesting things over the years one of the important products that you did years ago, it reminds me of an Elva Alto vase, but it's not. It was based on a cross-section of a capsicum. But the, your vases, your shell vases, really mm -hmm. gave you a bit of a name on the local scene. Would you say that's correct? 
Yes, that was certainly the time I was actually exporting into into Copenhagen, which was really exciting for me. So, uh, who were you exporting to? This is to a, a company called Palstian in, in the Docklands there right. in, in south of Copenhagen, and um, so. There was a, a, a rib vase, which was a kidney-shaped vase with this very heavy ribbing on the outside, and the shell vase, um, which is, in fact, is three tapered cones that have been placed together and uh, resemble, I guess, the, the cross-section of a capsicum on the top mm. there. So it, it, it's a very simple simple vase. And again, in the, in the processing, what was interesting, because I'm slip-casting this, it, it would normally have a very thick edge to it. So when I first did these vases, they looked... Uh, they look very well. The form was okay, but they were very clunky. So yeah. by again refining the edge, so the the illusion is that the edge is very thin. In fact, it, it, the edge is thin, but the body is thicker. So just by refining it, then it suddenly yeah. gets this this little quality that you uh, yeah, that, that I like. Um, Simon, your ceramics are quite exquisite. Uh, you were going to work with a company in London, uh, a factory that was producing fine china for many of the leading houses in Europe. What happened there? Well, this was a, a bit of a tragedy. This was, in fact, this was a... I come from Lincolnshire on the east coast of England, and this, in fact, was a, a for uh, the Conrad shop in London, but the pottery was the Hornsey pottery in Yorkshire. And uh, so the Hornsey pottery is one of the great English potteries, or was. Um, so that their designs, or their designs... Their designs actually designed for them, so they to the production work and so uh, I approached them and they were happy to um, produce because they'd already got the contract from the Conran shop mm-hmm. and through um, a series of negotiations they produced the sample so this was actually a, a rib vase in um, it was a chocolate browning with a duck egg interior glaze mm-hmm. so very much of the time uh, and they produced the vases which went to the stores in London and in Paris which was terrific um, but sadly they went into receivership so they the whole thing just closed, which is a real tragedy. And I think with the industry in England, particularly with ceramics now, that they're really going overseas a lot more at a much quicker rate. So we're losing that, that real sense of quality. quality. That's right. That's right. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's uh, sad. And there's a, whole, there's a whole history of people working with a horn tree because they're still, it's a very yeah. much a handcrafted um, industry. What's interesting also about your work, Simon, apart from the materials that you use, so you use a lot of you know ceramics, felt. Uh, you did these beautiful felt bowls that were just that won an award, I think. That's right. That was the Jan Ken Pon Award in Gifu in Japan, which was quite prestigious. Yes, it was quite, quite a good one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and tell me about that. That piece. Um, well, this was a, this was in fact a competition which I I saw um, I saw a poster for. Mm. And uh, I'm always open to a bit of a challenge. I I, I enjoy uh, having that kind of pr- proposal put to me. And uh, I've been working with, with felt um, for quite a while. And uh, this project was actually about hand-to-mouth, about the whole act of eating. It's obviously a very, very Japanese... Nurturing. Yes, Japanese thing. And um, so I had, th- I had this, th- this form I wanted to devise, but it was in felt. A- and... I wanted to make a felt container out of industrial felt that didn't have a corner. I'd, I'd made one. I thought, well, okay, we've got here's the felt, here's a container. Let's make it really simple. Let's make a corner join. Got it. But it looked so ugly. It was <laughs> and my stitching because it was a corner, 90 degrees. It's very hard to manufacture a neat corner. So I don't know what ha- how it happened, but I thought, well, what if, what if we take or what a shame we can't take the corner around the corner so the corner is clean and we join it on the straight where it's really easy to. To, to do and cut out a little yeah so by cutting out a little tiny square I, c- I could actually pull this around and I, I, it was one of these maybe one of these happy accidents it just happened and suddenly you think 
that's it. You know, it, it, it's so simple. And I think this is often the, the thing, you know, it, the objects that look really good and work well are those which have been just thought about and suddenly the, the kind of the resolution will present itself and, and there it is. And it, it, it worked. Simon, just for uh, the listeners, how do you tend to work? Is it usually from a brief? Is it something you have an idea, a household item that you've attracted to and you think we can do something in that vein? How do you tend to work in the, in the process? It's often it's a slow process. I mean, very few of my products have been manufactured apart from myself. So, so that's the first thing. So there's no there's no real imperative at this point for me to produce to to a, to a schedule. Although that would yeah. be that would be great to do. So I often have a, an idea. I'll sometimes see something. Um, the mixing bowl that I designed some years ago um, actually came from a at the front of a Scientific American. There was a picture of a cooling tower on, on the cover. So this beautiful structure which which rose up like a like a pyramid or like a cone rather and suddenly deflected itself and then moved out and it was heavily ribbed vertically. And I thought well, this is a this is a fantastic looking form. It looks like a mixing bowl. You know? <laughs> it looks like a mixing bowl. What's it doing there? So just the idea of then taking that, but then working with the slip casting form, I realised that I could use the same exterior form but support an interior form which was actually for a different function which was mixing so it has actually a it's like a hemisphere so the outside is structural it supports the the bowl and the inside is quite a different form and with slip casting you can do that you can have two different planes mm. and are working together and did that go into production uh no not? <laughs> not yet um but but recently that was um in the uh, at Gifu, there's an international ceramics competition festival that was this year, and it got uh, shortlisted, and I did get myself a bit of a gong for that one, um, which is great to be appreciated. And it, again, with a, with amongst all the different uh, items there, it yeah. was just a very simple. It just sat. It almost looked out of place, but it, it was obviously appreciated for for what it was. Simon, you tend to get a few gongs from overseas, or quite a few gongs from overseas, and yet not really on the larger radar in Australia. Does that eat away at you a little bit or is it just you, you tend to focus your energy trying to get oh, look, no, attention I, overseas? It's always very nice. Um, I, I, I don't know. It's um, it, just the way it seems to be. I mean, it, it, yeah, just the way it is. But maybe over time things things shift, you know. It's, um, and the other thing I was going to ask you, you tend to do uh, some work for architects. Yes, I've worked with uh, with John Wardle on a project. Yeah. So, in fact, what uh, did you do with John? Well, I worked actually with Prue uh, Venables, uh, ceramic, um, also very fine artist. ceramicist. Absolutely, some beautiful porcelain work. So, Prue and I worked on some uh, interior terracotta tiles for a project for, for John. Uh, so, these were heavily ribbed. Um, uh, fortunately, they for were, which room? In uh, the house? Uh, it was for a, I think it was for a corporation. Um, but unfortunately, they were actually there. they were actually never. They didn't actually real. The project wasn't realised, um, but nonetheless, um, those those tiles uh, again because the heavy ribbing they give a very deep shadow. And I, I've still got the dye in my workshop, so I'm very keen actually to to maybe have a look at producing some of these. And again, it was a time when I think we had Northcote Pottery looked at these, uh, and another another company that's um, had a sad demise as well yeah. within uh, within Melbourne. But but nonetheless, this thing about again terracotta, it. It tends to be, become a, like a second-rate material, but it's a beautiful material. It's got a, it's, I mean, it's a secondary clay, so it has this wonderful ochre red colour. Uh, it's got a fantastic open texture, uh, and it's actually very durable. People think that porcelain is more durable than, than earthenware or terracotta, but in fact, 
I have a mug I bought uh, in Cornwall many years ago in Earthenware mug for 99 pence p and in fact it's outlived it's not Everything chipped else. it's it's survived is that the problem that with ceramics that people don't look at the very humble materials sometimes and it has to be bone china yes before it gets um, a gong yes i mean i think there's a lot of um we don't we can't possibly know the processes of everything i, I know very little about automotive engineering in terms of the the kind of wiring principles but so people aren't, don't necessarily know these things but there is a a, a i guess if well the, 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 we, we believe that porcelain is, is a finer thing and, and mm. maybe the same degree it is but at the same time i remember seeing some beautiful works um that were designed oh, i can't remember the designer's name now but they were actually in earthenware and they were yeah. glazed they were highly functional and yet they had this interior glaze and this matte exterior they looked stunning there's some metal fixings to them so they were really very very beautiful the other thing i'm jumping back again to that exhibition i saw at treasury yes where it was part of the felt exhibition there were milliners putting in felt hats you did a very fine um corset mm-hmm. from memory and yes you did a fine corset it was almost couture standard and i think i mentioned to you at the time i said simon you seem to be able to touch everything and turn it into something quite magical there's very few designers who use felt like a couturier. Mm. Well, again, I, I really there's something about the, the well, the it's not really fashion; it's about tailoring. I like the tailored the components that make up the the single one. In fact, this was a collaboration. The exhibition was body felt, a collaboration with milliner Valtred uh, Reiner, um, and so we. we kind of conceived this piece which was a do-it-yourself piece in a way so these were felt recycled triangles which were, could be clipped together with um, buttons made from industrial felt and uh, Valtra actually put this piece together um, but there's something about it and from a distance the the little buttons of industrial felt almost look like carry shells so it almost has a, a, a kind of indigenous feel about it in some way and yet it's it's not um, and, and I really enjoy the the possibilities again it's like a no it's a kit and you can do what you want with it i'm just looking at all these wonderful images that um bring back memories to the work that you're doing and now and also to the work that you've done many years ago and i suppose that the on the positive side if something doesn't get manufactured or taken up or you don't find a market you can work on an idea from mm. years ago and rework it for today. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I do keep a series of notebooks and I'm up to about my third meter now, I think. Mm. Um, but I, I, I quite frequently go back through these notebooks and suddenly I'll see there's an image or a little sketch which has been circled about 10 years ago. And uh, and it's interesting because sometimes it, it's not the time or you, I haven't got the wherewithal or I can't quite make it happen. But, but but after a certain amount of time, there it is, and I can do it, and it's refreshed in some some new way. And um, how does your you've got now you've got a workshop at home? I have indeed, yes. Um, and but how does Libby deal with all the accoutrements around the house? Well, <laughs> Libby, my partner, wants one too. This is the next stage. I think the idea of a, of a space of one's own, I think, is becoming uh, very uh, very much of a need. I think yes, but but I. I, I I always I know what it is, but I've always wanted, in terms of a workshop or a space, I have to make the space work for me before I could even start. And I often spend many months making the space right 
for me to go into. It's something about the, uh, uh, I guess, the way that interiors can change one or, or give one a new impetus or in, inspire as well. So the idea of going to a workshop, if, if it's a cluttered shed, um, it, it's hard to concentrate. to concentrate and gain one's thoughts. But if it's a beautiful space, suddenly mm. one is kind of lifted and, and you, you can almost feel inspired, I think, by the interior. Simon, do you tend to work on one project at a time or do you tend to have all these things going at the same time and you, like an artist, might have four different canvases and they add to it? How do you tend to work? Sure. Um, it's probably a bit of that, but there is a primary focus. So things will shift. Obviously, if I'm working with ceramics and then I want to shift to metal and then to felt, it becomes problematic with the materials. Yes. So th- there is a primary focus, but at the same time, other, other things are being kind of incubated, I suppose, right. and, and, and grown in some sort of way. So it's a very, it's a very fluid one, but there are occasional, well, occasional focuses that, that really drive the work uh, forward. And Simon, what are some of the exciting things on the horizon that you can talk about? Is there anything that you think is coming up that you've I mean, the exhibition's just finished. It. Yes, yes. Um, well, again, that was, a, I, I think for me, that was a really interesting point, and uh, I guess being here today as a consequence of, of that, maybe to some degree. Um, so I, I'm certainly going to continue the idea of these reliefs and the, the mouse drawings. You know, I'm very... I remind, actually, of a, a Klaus Oldenburg um, series of models for... Uh, Crusoe's umbrella he did many years ago in the 70s, so a maquette of a giant umbrella, which he made in wire in... Uh, twigs and so the way it, it, it evolved so I think those mouse drawings are going to evolve into something quite different and then having gone through my workbooks I've got about seven design projects I want to complete. Do you get frustrated or disappointed when things don't eventuate? You've spent years or developing an idea and then you know you had somewhere like this Hornsby um, factory close. And sure it, it is frustrating but but I guess you you've got to move on, you know. You've got to keep keep going. I mean, I did another project which was a um, some ceramic, some porcelain uh, that I fired and then chipped. So I was I was trying to uh, emulate stone tools, and that, and that was great. And I went on to a ceramic knife, and I thought, well, what if we combine these two ideas so we can make a like a credit card wafer of of porcelain which you can snap to form instant sharp edge. So I tried this, uh, but unfortunately it it didn't work. It doesn't work that way. You actually got to chip it, you know. So. So, but it's yeah. interesting to try. You've got to try these things. Simon, look, thanks so much for coming to talking to me at uh, Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. It's been a treat, and I look forward to seeing more from Simon Lloyd. I think, I think there's just so much more. Even though you've done a huge amount already, I still see the ideas. Good. They'll be coming forward very quickly. Thanks, Steve. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks, Simon. <laughs>